Okay, welcome back to the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. Um, <clears throat> so, like I said, the the football season though football season's over. The NFL season is over. Um, we do have the combine and the mock drafts and the actual draft coming up. But these next few months are going to be mock draft, NBA, NBA talk. Um, we got the trade deadline coming up, um, approaching the next twenty fours or so hours. Um, we that's that's a big topic around the NBA right now. Um, we have mock drafts, all types of things going on, NBA season and the All Star game, All Star weekend, and many more things. Um, that we're going to get into and discuss NFL off season and free agents. Who's getting the big money? Who's getting franchise tag? All of that good stuff. We're gonna be transitioning into that type of, into these type of conversations. Um, so let's get ready. Let's get ready. Uh, to go on the audio adventure. I catch you guys on the other side. As mentioned, football season has concluded. As we all know, we all know we got the XFL, but the NFL season has concluded and come to an end. Now we enter into the offseason, player signings, uh, free agency, and then the draft. And then we have the NBA and the NBA deadline, which is this Thursday, which is Thursday, which is about 24-ish hours away, um, Thursday, 3 p.m., is the trade, the NBA trade deadline. That is the deadline. No more trades can be made at that time um, once that time has been passed, Thursday at 3 p.m. So we're going to talk about the NBA uh, conferences, and we're going to get into that today. We're going to have a, a real deep conversation, real dive deep, dive in deep with Zion and the Milwaukee Bucks matchup against Giannis um, that transpired last night. We're going to get into all of that. But first, let's attack this really quickly. With the Dak Prescott situation. And Troy, Troy Aikman came out and said, hey, both sides like each other. Dak wants to be in Dallas. Dallas wants Dak. The deal, a long-term deal, and the hopes of it is inevitable. It's going to happen. In Troy Aikman, in Troy Aikman's opinion. Now here goes my thing. You know, I know people say, "Oh, Dak is not worth thirty-five million. Dak is not worth thirty-six million dollars." I agree. I don't think there's a lot of guys that's. I don't think there's a lot of quarterbacks that's worth this type of money. But let's take this. Let's just take this in account. Patrick Mahomes. I think we can all say Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football right now, hands down. He's the best quarterback in football right now. 
either this this upcoming off season or the off season after next season, the next approaching off season, Patrick Mahomes will be a very rich man and he will get paid forty something million dollars a year. That's that's about the range. So Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback, and I think from like after Patrick Mahomes, there I'm not gonna say there's a, a huge gap, but there's a gap between Patrick Mahomes and the second best quarterback. There is a gap, and Patrick Mahomes is on a never he's on a never level talent wise. Um, you know his numbers. You, now he has the he, now he has the wins and the resume you know the resume to back it up now with the championship. So this, the, from from Patrick Mahomes to the second best quarterback, there is a gap. Probably not a huge one, but there's a gap. There's a gap in between one and two. And here goes my thing with Dak. Here goes my real spill with Dak. If I'm the Cowboys. If the Cowboys truly think Dak is better than Carson Wentz long term, we are. I, I, in my opinion, I think Car- if I had to start a franchise, I would pick Carson Wentz over Dak. Uh, and I was, I, I, you know, and this argument was much more compelling coming into the season because coming into the season, a lot of people questioned Carson Wentz leadership. Um, you know. It, Basically, his leadership and his lack um, of him not being healthy. Him not being available all the time. Because I always say the best ability is availability. And many question that about his availability status. Carson Wentz, that is. Carson Wentz stayed healthy the entire season. Carson Wentz throughout the season, throughout trials and tribulations, throughout injuries, throughout the offense... Major and key injuries throughout the offense stayed the course and showed great leadership skills and qualities. With with not very much to, to, to play with. The talent on the field offensively for the Eagles was scarce this year. Especially coming down the stretch. Like coming down the stretch, that no that late November, December point. The Eagles offensively, as a like talent wise, was it, 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 it was bad. Miles Sanders and Zach Ertz, and then it was a bunch of guys that we never heard of. So he showed he he, he to me he checked the boxes that people were that people questioned because I don't think many people questioned Carson Wentz's talent, like his arm talent and his size and mobility. I don't think nobody. I don't think. I don't think there's. A, I don't think there's a group of media members that has questioned or challenged that about Carson Wentz because he has all the intangibles. He has all. He has the measurables. So nobody questioned that. Some people. Some. It's, there is a group of media members that do question Dak's accuracy. That do question Dak's arm strength. But if the Dallas Cowboys truly think the front office. If they truly think Carson, if they truly think Dak is better than Carson Wentz, go ahead and pay him. Because what you're saying is Dak is the best quarterback in your division. And what I what have I said a couple? I, I said this I think before the playoffs started or during the playoffs. Look at the eight teams. Look at the look at the look at the top 
teams that made the playoffs this year. They either had the best quarterback in the division or the second best quarterback in the division. Look at them. And look at the bottom tier teams of the league. They had the worst quarterback play. The best teams had the best quarterback play this year. The worst teams had the worst quarterback play this year. And then those teams in the middle, their quarterbacks were in the middle. <laughs> so, then there's examples. There's always, like, examples where there's an outlier somewhere where, you know, there's always outliers. But for the most part, teams that made the playoffs, their quarterbacks were playing at, some some quarterbacks were playing at really high levels. Some quarterbacks were playing at great levels. Some quarterbacks were playing at a really good level. So, it varies. But I always say, look at the teams that win the division. The 49ers won the division. The 49ers got to the playoffs. Seattle got to the playoffs. Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, this regular season, was playing well. They were playing good football. Russell was playing at he was playing at a great level. Carson Wentz and the Eagles got to the playoffs. Carson Wentz, especially down the stretch of the season, was playing at a great level despite not having all of his weapons. I can tell you go down the list of the NFC. Aaron Rodgers played at a good level this year. Drew Brees was playing at a great level this year once he got back, once he returned from injury. So those are teams that played at good levels in quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins played at a great level this this regular season. He he started off shaky, but when it was time to win games, they won games. Kirk Cousins played well. You go through the NFC, of course. Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, he played well, especially coming off his injury. Lamar Jackson was the league's MVP. He played well all year. And like I said, there's a couple exceptions. There's always some outliers. Even though Josh Allen didn't have the gaudy numbers, he still played well. But Josh Allen, that defense, the Bills' defense really helped them. The Bills' defense really, you know, was the the calling card of the Bills. That was really the face of the Bills. That was the identity of the Bills. And then Houston made the playoffs. Deshaun Watson was playing great. And then Tennessee made the playoffs. Tannehill was playing great. So, you see... The trend there. You see the trend there. So if the Cowboys truly think Dak Prescott is the best quarterback in the division or the second best quarterback in the division, go ahead and pay him. But for teams like Chicago, Mitch Trubisky, he, he he's not he's we, he's damn sure not Aaron Rodgers, and I don't think he's Kirk Cousins. And I can make his case. Matthew Stafford is better than Mitch Trubisky. So Mitch Trubisky is the la—he's the worst quarterback in his division. Chicago's not going to win like that. Chicago's Chicago's not going to win like that. Jason Jameis Winston—he's probably the third best quarterback in his division, behind Matt Ryan and Drew Brees. Tampa Bay is not going to have success winning the division. It is a—I it, it, think it's—I pr- think it's proven. I think the proof is in the pudding. If you have the first or second best quarterback in your division, you have success. Now, if you have the first quarter, if you have the best quarterback in your division, you're gonna consistently win division titles. You're gonna you're gonna consistently win playoff games. Hell, you might even make a Super Bowl run a couple times. But you're gonna have consistent 
playoff appearances and playoff runs. If you have the second best quarterback in your division, occasionally you might win a division. And then you're going to get into the playoffs. And then you'll probably win a playoff game here or there. But that's because you have the second best quarterback in your division. But anything below that, scrap it out. You can ball it up and scrap it out. I don't, I don't care how good of a roster you have. I don't care. I don't care. Chicago has a great defense. Chicago has nothing but players but ballers on their defense. Mr. Trubisky is the worst quarterback in his division. So, you know what that means? Chicago is not going to finish number one or two. Bad. You, you, you just can't win in this league without a quarterback. Remember how I was saying the Kansas City job is a great job. It's a good job. Besides Pittsburgh, there's no good jobs in the league. Besides Pittsburgh, there's no great job. Pittsburgh, if you're if you're an NFL coach, the Steelers is the perfect job because they draft well. They don't fire coaches. They they literally had that. They literally have had three coaches in their team's history. Three coaches. They don't fire coaches. They draft well. Great scouting team. They're not afraid to spend money. They develop players really well. So, that's the perfect job for a coach. But I always say, the quarter, the job is as good as your quarterback. The Kansas City job is... Besides the Pittsburgh job, the Kansas City Chiefs job is the best job in football. You know why? No, not because of the fans. No, not because of the front office. It's because they have Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football. The job is as good as the quarterback. And this goes back to my ultimate point. If the Cowboys think Dak Prescott is the best quarterback in his division or the second best, pay him. But, mind you, if Daniel Jones just all of a sudden emerges into this star and at some point, some media members say, hey, Daniel Jones might be better than Dak Prescott. The Cowboys are in trouble because that would make Dak Prescott the third best quarterback in his division. The Cowboys would be in trouble. But if they think he's the, the best or the second best quarterback in the division, go ahead and pay him. But don't become stuck. Don't become stuck. Do not become stuck. Because if they do pay him, and Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins emerges onto the scene, uh oh, there's trouble. There's trouble in Dallas. There's trouble in Dallas. But the quarterback, the job is as good. The, the job is as good as the quarterback that the, that the team have. So if the quarterback is below average, it's a below average job. I don't care. If it's below average, it's a below average job because the quarterback is below average. You need a quarterback to win games in this league. I'll be back with more. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive into the Rockets' latest trade, the you know the biggest trade up to date that was concerning the Rockets, who I know many people love, or who I know people love the Rockets and James Harden and the crew. So we're gonna talk about that and the NBA. We're gonna, I'm gonna give a breakdown on the on both conferences in the NBA. I'll be back.
way, before I get into Houston and that big blockbuster trade, um, I think the biggest trade, um, it was a, tr- a trade amongst 12 players. I think it's the biggest trade since Pat Ewing was traded to the Seattle Supersonics. I forgot what year that was, but it was it's the biggest trade since the trade happened between um the Patrick Ewing and the Super and the Seattle Supersonics. So <clears throat> let's get into it. Um let's before I get into that, <clears throat> I want to get into the Zion's uh performance against Giannis and Milwaukee. Not surprised, Giannis had twenty points, five shot five for nineteen. Um obviously uh y- I think Milwaukee defense and their personnel is definitely set up to stop a guy like Giannis uh, because they have a lot. I mean, Milwaukee has a lot of length and they're deep. So Milwaukee can not only not only that they're long and they're deep, they can throw a lot of guys at you. So that's what Milwaukee did last night. Um, they threw a lot of bodies at Zion and ultimately. Zion's giving up a lot of height. I don't. I think Zion's about six six. Zion's about six six. Milwaukee has guys that six seven, six ten, six eleven, seven feet. So they're trees. Um, and he's giving up a lot. Excuse me. He's giving up a lot of height, not weight. A lot of height. Um, so I think that if if like if he can't beat you off the first step, that that's where he's in trouble. I also want to point out since that first since his first. NBA career game against the Spurs, where he went four for four from downtown, from 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 three point range, from beyond the arc. Remember, everybody, oh Zion can shoot. Zion been working the jump shot. Well, since his first game, and he played his seventh NBA career game last night, he hasn't made a three point shot. He has not made a three point shot, and yeah. He still has to work on that part of his game. So he needs a jumper. And he's only shooting 58% from the three from the free throw line. 58% from the free throw line. So that is a problem. That, that that's a that's a naggy issue too. Also, I noticed Zion goes left a lot. He um I would I would like to see him go right sometime because I mean every time he drives, he goes left. So maybe developing some um, ambidextral skills would help uh, because he goes left every time. And like I said, if you can't beat you off the dribble, um, like off the first step, if he can't beat you off the first step that he takes, it, 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 he's much easier to defend, to, to, to defend because of the lack of the jump shooting and then the lack of the ambidextral skills. And he's given up a lot of height, and like I, I and I, I told you guys this after his first game, New Orleans has him playing a lot of small ball five, and when he's playing center, that's where he gives up the most height. Him at the center position, and it looks like New Orleans have him playing a lot at the five position. Now, not to say, not gonna, you know, I'm not. He's gonna get his rebounds, and he's gonna get his points. He's gonna get. He's gonna get. He's going to get 16, close to 20 points just off his energy and his athleticism. It's just, he's going to get those. He's going to get points and numbers like that just based off his athleticism and, and rebounds. He's going, to, he, he's going to rebound the ball 
just with energy and athleticism, God-given athleticism. Now, he has to develop a little bit more skill. He has to develop a little bit more skill um, to, to really take his game to that next level. But I think he's a, I think he, like I told you guys, I think he's a guy that can score 25, 20, 24 to 25 points per game. Now, whether or not he's able to develop the necessary skill set to be a bona fide MVP contender type, uh, MVP type player or MVP caliber player, that remains to be seen because I think he has to, he definitely has to develop that jump shot. He has to start going right a little bit more. Um, you know, he's still, he's still, he's still out of shape and still big. So it's a lot. He has a lot of girth to his game. So I think that is one key thing that he could work on, and that that can that could help him possibly. Uh, but with him being a six six guy, two eighty, with 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 some with some injuries on his knees. That, I don't like that. I don't like those combinations. I, I I don't like those combinations. So I think we, you know, they gotta, they gotta, you know, I don't know if he, I, I, like, I think the Pelicans training staff gotta gotta do a better job with him, or I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's if it's because his metabolism. I don't know. I don't know. But the but the the Pelicans they have to do a better job. Um, the training staff have to do a better job with keeping him in shape, and I know with the regular season and the often back-to-backs or road games, it's pretty difficult to practice. Um, teams don't there's limited practices, and teams don't practice as often as they would like to. But they still got to do a better job with him, and it doesn't help that he plays New Orleans and he's 19. New Orleans uh, has a lot of great eateries, had a lot of good eateries, so not not the perfect place, but. He can control it. I think he can manage it, but will he? I don't know. Um, but it, it, that's what I took away from Milwaukee, it, it, from his performance against Milwaukee. The Pelicans as a team, as a whole, they're young. I knew they weren't quite ready um, on a third on a TNT-type game, primetime game. I knew they weren't ready to beat a team like Milwaukee. Milwaukee's the best team in the East. They have, they have the best record in the league. Uh, and they play Milwaukee pretty tight in the first half, but Milwaukee build the you know build the lead, gain some distance in the third quarter. Then the, the Pelicans would try to make a fourth quarter surge, but then that's where Milwaukee kind of did the same thing that they did in in, in the third quarter. They broke away um, once again. So I um I, I think like I, like I said, I'm still you know I'm still gonna stick with my my prior analysis of Zion, but it, it does, he, he does have some question marks in his game, uh, and some big ones. Now, the good thing about it is, guys can develop jump shots. I have seen players, and I've seen all-time legends and players develop their jump shots as years go on. Dirk Nowitzki, didn't have much of a jump shot. Dirk Nowitzki, uh, his rookie year, his first few seasons in the league, his 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 shooting numbers weren't that great. Um, Dirk is now probably probably one of the better big big men, big shooting big men in NBA history. Um, Jason Kidd, he became a great shooter, but early on in Jason Jason Kidd's career, he was not a great shooter. He was not a shooter at all. They used to call him A. He had no J. 
They used to call Jason Kidd Asen because he had no J. So, and as he, as he got older, um, he, 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 he started to develop a jump shot. He started to develop a jump shot, and he became a, a really good knockdown shooter. So, in the league, I've seen all-time great players develop jump shots as they get older. Um, some guys still don't have a jump shot, even after their athleticism has gone away. They don't have a jump shot. So it just it just depends on, you know, which side of the spectrum that Zion lands on. But, it, you know, the, he needs to go right more. Uh, he gives up a lot of size down low. And the jump shot. The jump shot is the, I think the jump shot is a, little, is a key thing. Um, it's, a, it's a key thing because he get, he, I see that he gets to the foul line a lot. But it doesn't mean nothing if you get to the foul line a lot if you're only making 58% of your free throw shots. doesn't mean much if you get to the free throw line 12 times because you're going to miss 7 of those shots, 6 of those shots. So it doesn't matter um, if you get to the free throw line a bunch of times. It doesn't matter because you're not hitting the shots. Um, so I think that that's all for Zion and what I think on him. Um, I, you know, good showing. He had a good showing, but nothing to go home and tell mom about. But it was it was against one of the best players in basketball, Giannis, um, and the best team record wise in the league uh, with Milwaukee. So not mad at it. But I'll be back um, with more. I'll be back to finally break down the trade between the Rockets, Hawks, Nuggets, and Timberwolves. And we're going to get into some conference, some NBA Eastern Conference and Western Conference talk. Um, Top eight. Okay. We got some NBA talk. So basically, I'm going to break down. Uh, so if you don't follow first, if you don't follow the Isaiah Kid Podcast on, on Instagram, um, how about you go ahead and do that? Uh, Isaiah Kid Podcast is spelled just how the podcast is spelled. Um, follow me on Instagram. I have I have intriguing uh, daily updates on NBA trade rumors, NFL news. I have all of this. I have all of the goods on there. Um, I keep you posted with the daily updates. Uh, I, I stay recent to my updates and my posts. So follow that so you can stay, um, in the, in the know of these rumors and these, and these upcoming trades that could possibly happen and go down in the next few hours, next several hours. So we're going to, so we're going to talk, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about, the NBA uh, trade deadline um, and the Rockets' recent trade—that is the big trade that everybody's talking about uh, concerning the Rockets and the Hawks and the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. We're gonna talk about that, 
And then um, I'm going to talk about each conference and how these teams are looking and what I thought in the beginning of the season. So let's start with Houston. Let's start with Houston. And I'm going to make this quick with Houston. I'm not going to be long with Houston. You already got. You guys already know how I feel about Westbrook. You guys already know how I feel about James Harden in Houston. Uh, I love. I like James Harden. I'm not going to say I love James I like James Harden. Uh, he's a good player, good talented player, really good scorer. I think he's a little bit deceptive in ways where, you know, he he draws contact, he initiates contacts, contact, and he gets the foul. Uh, but I, 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 I've been, you know... I've been I've been critical of James Harden, and I'm I'm going to continue to be critical of James Harden if you know if if the Houston Rockets show us this same type of play coming in you know and during the postseason I'm going to be continue to I'm going to continually continuously be critical of James Harden, and then Russell Westbrook you are you guys already know. I, I like Westbrook, and Westbrook pre- seems pretty cool as a person. But I like Westbrook; uh, he's really dynamic. But I think at times he plays at one speed. He still 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 hasn't learned different paces and styles. But I like Westbrook. I think he's dynamic, and I'll pay top dollar to watch him. But uh, can't shoot. Hasn't developed a jump shot since he entered enter into the league. Hasn't been real efficient. Uh, so yeah, that's how I feel about Houston and James Harden and their stars. So with the trade and with the move. Obviously, I think my and just just this is just me, but I think Mike D'Antoni is on the hot seat. I think he's on the hot seat, and he needed to make a move. He needed to make a a move that would, I guess, put the Rockets closer to the 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 two LA teams. Because mm, to me, coming into the season, I thought by I thought the Lakers and Clippers were the top two teams in the West. Check, they are. And then I thought Denver and Utah was better than Houston. A lot of people gave me a lot of heat for saying that Utah and Denver, especially Utah, because you don't want, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about Utah. Uh, I, you know, never been, but I, people just, they don't give Utah a lot of credit for some reason. They always down Utah. And like, Utah. But I'm like, yeah, I like Utah, and now Utah's better than and Utah has a better record, and I think Utah is the better team right now. Um, but with the with with Clint Capella, you know, for they the Rockets have, you know, basically they they had him since he was a rookie. He has grown as a player. He was a he was a big time part of what they did in Houston. But as he got hurt, and as and like throughout this season. His role had went down offensively. His role in the offense had went down because Houston didn't run much pick and roll. That's how he got most of his points. So defensively, I mean offensively, he was limited and Houston didn't use him no more like they used to. And he got hurt and he's hurt. So they trade Robert Covington for Clint Capella. Not mad at the trade. I don't think it's a bad trade because I think with Robert Covington, you do get a decent player that is a three and D guy, a guy that can hit the three and a really and a good a good perimeter defender. Robert Covington is a good perimeter defender. I like him. I I, I really I really liked him in Philadelphia, but Philadelphia had some uh, financial problems. They couldn't they couldn't keep 
Robert Covington. So they had to let him go to Minnesota, and then he's, you know, played in Minnesota for a couple seasons. Now he's with Houston. I like the move for Houston because, they yes, they do get better on the perimeter defensively, and that's another guy that can hit a three, and we all know Houston loved to shoot the three ball. But they are giving up a lot of size down low. And the other night I watched them, they played – they, I forgot who they played, but Houston didn't have a guy on the floor that was taller than 6'6". Mind you, Houston did not have a, a guy on the floor that was taller than 6'6". Now, we'll see how well this, like, this, like, this is, you know, I thought small ball was small ball, but this is really small ball. This is really small ball. And we'll really see how effective this move is. Um, with 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 Houston because they play the Lakers to, on you know they play, they play the Lakers tomorrow so it will it, 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 we we'll see we we'll, we'll see because the Lakers have nothing but bigs they have AD and JaVale and Dwight so the Lakers have nothing but bigs so we'll see whether or not if they if, if this small ball thing will work and basically their whole plan is it, it seems to like it seems to be hey okay. Yeah, we're giving up a lot of size and a lot of rebounding down low, but we're going to outrun you. And, like, people were mentioning the Warriors. I'm like, even the Warriors, yeah, they ran a lot and they and they played small ball, but even the Warriors had had, had, had seven-footers. Like, the Warriors had McGee, the Warriors had Zaza Pachulia, the Warriors had bigs, Andrew Bogut, they had bigs, but... This used to be like, hey, scrap that. We're, we're, we're going nothing taller than 6-7. So, I don't, I, we'll see how it fares. I like the trade. I, I think, I don't, well, let me, ask, let me not say that. I think it's a good trade. I don't think it's a bad trade. Because you're getting a good, like I said, you're getting a, you're getting a decent 3 and D player in Robert Covington. But, you are getting up a lot of size. And, looking down the stretch, going into the postseason, you're going to have to face guys like Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, uh, Nikola Jokic. you got to face guys like, you're going to face seven-footers, and the game slows down. The NBA game slows down once you reach the postseason. So I don't know how this method would work, how this game plan, I don't know how, you know, this strategy would work, but... They got to give it a shot because Dan Tony, I think, is on the hot seat. And he has to, at this point, try anything. He has to try any and everything to keep his job. And I just don't see it. Uh, I think there's four teams better than the, than the Rockets right now. And I think I think most people would agree. It's besides Rocket fans, I think most people would agree. And probably some Rocket fans will probably agree as well. But I think most people would I think everybody would agree. Lakers and Clippers are definitely better. And then the, the the Denver and Utah, I think people, most people agree, say yeah, they're better. So let's go into my analysis on the Eastern Conference and what I've been seeing from the top eight teams. So Milwaukee at forty three and seven. Milwaukee, uh, they know who they are. Milwaukee does have an identity. Um, they 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 know who they are. Uh, they're 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 Giannis oriented. It's fine. Uh, Giannis is the best player in the conference. They might have, they're the deepest team in the conference. I think they might be the longest team in the conference. 
you know, Philly might have to say something about that. But they're they're Giannis oriented and they play good defense. Now that's that's one thing I, that I do like about Milwaukee. They do play defense. Now coming into the going into the postseason, yes, they have playoff experience. Yes, I get that. I get that part. But I do question uh like who so when Giannis is not having a great game or Giannis is taken out of the game, what what happens to Milwaukee's offense and who becomes that second guy? Now I know a lot of people are gonna say Chris Middleton. Me, honestly, I think Chris Middleton had a good he's having a good year this year and he's he's and he's become he he's come a long way as a player, but me I don't I don't look at Chris Middleton as a guy down the stretch if I can't give it to Giannis, I don't look at him as a guy that I can give it to down the stretch, fourth quarter, take me there. Uh, I don't see that. I don't see Chris Middleton as that guy. And quite frankly, uh, he was he he was very streaky in last in in, in last year's postseason. Very streaky streaky shooter. So he's hit or miss. I look at these other guys, the 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 spot up shooters. They yes, some some can create their own shot. But I just wonder in those big moments, in those big time moments, who is going to step up to the plate as the guy. Um, if it's not Giannis, when you or it, you know, if Giannis is having a bad shooting night, or if or, or if we see something similar uh, with Giannis like we did last year, who is that guy that can step up? Um, people would probably say Chris Middleton, but I don't know because I don't. I think Chris Middleton at times he can be an All Star level player, but Chris Middleton is a good player. But um, really, Chris Middleton, I don't. I don't know. Um, the second seed, Toronto. A lot of people will probably be surprised with Toronto. Um, they're they're at thirty six and fourteen. I think Nick Nurse is a good coach, and for, you know Toronto has some good pieces. They have some good pieces, um, and some good things going on up there in the six. Um, Fred Van Vliet has really played well this season. He's really stepped up. Kyle Larry has played well. Um, they got to, they got Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul, and Pascal Siakam has really taken his game to the next level, and I think that is I think that is a big part of Toronto's continued success um, in the regular season is due to Pascal Siakam's growth as a player, especially offensively, because now he's creating his own shot. He's cre- he's creating shots for others. Um, and that's what base. That's basically what Toronto needed him to do, with with it being no more Kawhi. So that's he really took the big step. And some people had Toronto not being this good. Um, Toronto, if you know, if I was to tell you, hey, we're two weeks away from the All Star break, and Toronto would be the two seed, you'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. They'd probably still be pretty solid, but two seed, uh, pretty high. But yes, they are two seed. Um, like I said, Nick Nurse, he's a good coach. He's a good coach, and Pascal Siakam has really taken take his he's taken his game to the next level, um, as especially as an offensive player. Um, Boston, Boston, good core, good good. Boston has a good roster. I really like Boston roster. Um, I don't think it's quite big enough. Like Boston could have used a guy like Clint Capella. Um, Boston could use a guy like, um, like, uh, who, who, Steven Adams. 
Balls Thinker really used that type of guy because that's really the only thing with wrong with Balls Thinker is probably their size. And that's been the problem. That's been like the lingering effect and problem with Boston the last few years is their lack of size. Even when they had Al Horford, Boston still lacks size, and that's still a that's still uh, that's still something that sticks out like a sore thumb till this day. But I think Kimba Walker, as I predicted, Kimba Walker has um he's really filled in that Kyrie Irving role well. And Brad Stevens does a great job with his point guards, um, i.e. Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie Irving, uh, the success he had with them. So not really surprising. I'm not surprised that Kimba fits right in with the system because Kim and Kyrie are fairly similar players. Um, Jason Tatum, has re- he's taken his game to an all-star type level. Um, and he's turned into that second option that I thought he would turn into in that all-star caliber player that I thought he would turn into um, last year, you know, after his impressive rookie year. Uh, Jalen Brown, similar to Jason Tatum, has taken his game to the next level. Jalen Brown, ever since he's entered the league, because um, I could I could literally remember when Jalen Brown was drafted coming out of Cal. He, he he was super athletic, really good defensively, and had the and had the tools and the measurables and the athleticism to be like to be a all like a all defense for uh, all first team defense type of guy. Um, that defense of mental, you know, that defensive talent and that defensive. Uh, talent that he has that has carried over into the NBA. But the one naggy thing that Jalen Brown struggled with was his jump shooting. His jump shooting. He was freakishly athletic. He's a great finisher, but it's jump shooting. Ever since he's entered the league, he has always gotten better as a jump shooter. Now he's putting the floor on the he's putting the ball on the floor and he's creating his own shot. And he it, it looks really good. And I'm I I just like I used to get on Jalen Brown about his jump shot or lack thereof. I used to I used to bang on that, but now he he he's become a better jump shooter. He's become a better offensive player and he's and he's putting all those tools and his athleticism together and you're getting that. Um you're getting a guy that's averaging around 17, 16 points per game, which is fine cuz he's the third he's the third or fourth guy on most nights. Uh Gordon Hayward had, you know, it, after a year, yes, you come back. But it usually takes you another year to get your legs and your game fully back, and that's what Jay, that's what Gordon Hayward. That's what happened to Gordon Hayward. He's been playing much more effectively, and it also helps when you're when you don't have to deal with Kyrie and his drama and his shenanigans. It all, it, it also helps too, well, with your game, and it's a benefit. So Gordon Hayward has gotten better, and then the Celtics role players, you know, those guys coming off the bench. Have played well to Boston. Um, they hit a rough patch early in January, but ever since the ever since the win versus the Lakers, they have really turned the corner. Um, you know, they've really they they've turned the corner since the win against the Lakers. The Heat, the Heat at the tie for third with Boston. The Heat, um, thirty four and fifteen. The Heat are probably the surprise team of the league. Um, a lot because I even me they even surprised me. I, I I can admit it. They surprised me because the Heat coming into this season, I saw them as a playoff team with the addition of Jimmy Butler and the roster that they have and Coach Eric Sprostra, who's a really good coach. And I the one thing I knew that Miami was gonna do 
or they was going to be good at was defense. I knew defensively Miami was going to be good because that's that's who they are. That's who that's what Eric Spoelstra coaches. That's what he emphasizes in and Jimmy Butler and you and they added a good a great wing defender in Jimmy Butler. So I knew Miami was not going to be bad offense. I mean defensively. Now offensively, that's where the things that's where I had my question marks. That's where I scratched my head a couple times. Well, little do you know, they have, you know, they drafted well with Tyler Hero. Some people thought that he was drafted a little too high, but it turned out to be a good pick. He's averaging about 14 and a half points, really good knockdown shooter. Uh guys like Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn are surprises and they have become offensive focal focal points within the Heat offense. Um, Myers Leonard has really stretched the floor. He's helped to stretch the floor. And the emergence of all-star Bam Adebayo has really helped. And his uh, growth as an offensive player and a player just overall, really good defensively. Skilled big man. I like Bam Adebayo. I like the Heat. They're really the, they're, they're, they're really, they're really the surprise team of the league. Um, I had them at a 6 or a 7 seed, but it looks like Miami could very well be fighting for the 2 seed. Um, so, this is a surprise. Um, 5, at, well, at 5, Indiana. Indiana at 5, they're really surprised. I mean, not surprising. Well, yeah, they're surprising because no Victor Oladipo for technically the first half of the season. So, it's been a lot. It's been... You know, that system that they've been playing with, Mac, you know, Nate McMillan has done a good job with that Pacers squad. Um, that young team that they have, really like Indiana. At six, the 76ers. The 76ers are the Cowboys of the NBA. The 76ers have a, a boatload of talent. They have a boatload of talent around them. Um, they got a, Brent Brown, he's a good coach, I assume, I guess. Um, and they have two like young stars, two young stars. Some question if they fit if they fit together. I don't know if they fit together. I don't think they fit together. But the 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 seventy sixers are the Cowboys of the NFL uh, of the NBA. Um, they're 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 nine and eighteen on the road. Nine and eighteen on the road. In this league, in NBA, if you're supposed to be a contending team or a team that has championship aspirations, you're usually a, a, a solid road team. You're not a, a road team that's damn near under 10 games below 500 as a road team if you have championship aspirations in NBA. It just doesn't work like that. So I think um, in Philly, they got to get their act together. They're um they're they're really the letdown of the season, quite frankly. Between them and Portland, they're really the letdown of the year, um so far. But Philly, you know, they're super talented. My, they remind me of the Cowboys. Cowboys super talented but underachieving. Philly super talented underachieving. Many saw Philly as being the best or the second best team in the East, and they're right above Brooklyn. And then we have Brooklyn. They have, you know, had injuries um, to Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving missed. He's missed almost damn near 30, 30 games. Um, so Brooklyn has been having their issues. But 
we will that that is the Eastern Conference. Um, no, not really. Not real surprised that these other teams are at the bottom. We kind of figured that. We just, but you know, these are the eight, seven. These are the seven, eight teams that we thought um, were gonna make it. At you know, we're gonna be in this position. Just didn't have Philly being this this low, and didn't have Miami being this high. So that's that's the Eastern Conference. I'll be back to talk about the Western Conference. <clears throat> I'm back. Um, I didn't want to bunch in the East and the West together, so that's why I took the break. Um, but I had the Western Conference. Um, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna hold you long. I'm not gonna hold you guys any longer. <clears throat> we're just gonna discuss the Western Conference and what I think and what's been going on so far and what teams need to do, what teams shouldn't do, what I think about teams, my predictions, and so forth. <clears throat> so the Western Conference we have at number one the L.A. Lakers. At 38 and 11, uh, not really surprising. I thought now, let's give me give me some leadway. I thought coming into the year, with the Lakers being a veteran team, like a, one of those older teams, I thought they would like have some down nights, um, more more so than often. But uh, they they <laughs> they haven't had many down nights, so that's why they're first in the West. Um, with about with a four and a half game lead over the Clippers, uh, LeBron's been playing at a at an MVP level, averaging twenty five points, seven rebounds, and ten assists a game. Anthony Davis is the league; he's the team's leading scorer, with averaging about twenty six and a half points. So, it, not really surprising from the Lakers. We kind of figured that the Lakers were going to be one of the one or the the second or the first or the second best team in the West. Um, we just didn't know where, but we kind of figured that they were going to be really good. Um, not surprising when you pair up LeBron and AD with a, a with a solid supporting cast. You can almost you can almost expect that that that's going to be a good team, and that's what the Lakers have been this year. Not really surprising. Now most now some people you know you know talk, speaking of the trade deadline, Kyle Kuzma's name has been in trade talks for the last couple weeks, last few weeks. Kyle Kuzma's name has been in trade talks with uh, Bodon Bondanovich from Sacramento, um, Zach Levine, Bradley Beal. He's been in been trade. He's been in trade talks, various trade talks. I don't think the I don't think the Lakers have to make a trade to fix their problem. I, you guys know what I think the Lakers' problem is. The Lakers' problem, their name nagging issue is they don't have a they don't have another play another playmaker. Outside of LeBron, like when LeBron goes to the bench, the the Lakers offense, and I watched it last night uh, against the Spurs, even though they pulled away and they won by 27 points. I watched it a little bit with the Spurs. The Lakers offense can become a look, can become stagnant uh, when LeBron is 
on the bench. It can become very stagnant, uh, standstill, bailout jump shots. It can become that because Caruso, Alex Caruso, athletic athletic guard, but he's not going to create plays and ma- and play make for others. Rondo up he's up there in age not the he's not the he's not the same rondo that we are accustomed to seeing uh and Quinn Cook good shooter good guard but he's not creating plays he's not creating opportunities for others but I don't think the Lakers have to trade anybody or they don't have to make a move in the trade deadline to fix this problem I think they can fix this problem by easily signing Darren Collison Darren Collison is a veteran type guard um, who can fit right in. You keep him away from the Clippers. That also that also helps. You keep him away from you keep him away from the Clippers. You know he played last year for Indiana. He had a productive year for Indiana. So it's not like he it's not like Darren Collison is a guard is a veteran guard that hasn't played in years. No, free agent played for Indiana last year was really good, was real productive, and it's another source of playmaking. I've heard the I heard I've heard the name Derrick Rose come up in some trade talks. Wouldn't mind it, but I you know, you don't have why make a trade for something that you can get just by signing him. Um, you know, Derrick Rose and Derrick Collison, I like you know, he can like his jump shooting ability. I think you don't need him to play heavy minutes. You just need him when you just need him to come come in the game and play make for about fifteen to seventeen minutes a night to come in and play make when LeBron is off the bench. When LeBron is on the bench, that's all you need Darren Collison to do. Uh, I think that I think that would be the perfect move for the Lakers, and I think that would help. I think that would help and disclose those playmaking. Uh, issues that they have. I think that would do the job. I don't think they have to trade Kuzma and trade this guy to get him. I don't think they need to do that. I think they can easily just go out and sign Darren Collison and you still get to keep your core that you have. You don't have to mess up no camaraderie uh, that has been made and formed throughout the season. You can just go get Darren Collison. Veteran guard, knows what it takes, played in playoff games. I think that I think that would be the perfect fit for, um, for the Lakers. Um, for the Clippers, not surprised. Uh, they have Kawhi Leonard, reigning Finals MVP. Paul George, even though Paul George has been dealing with uh, some nagging, with some injuries, some nagging injuries, and hasn't really played consistently this year. Uh, you know, not really surprised about this team. I think they're the deepest team, but you know, w- w- between the Lakers, I think they're the deepest team. They have more depth. But I mean, hey, you know the you know the Clippers. How about the Lakers situations? But nobody talks about the Clippers situations. Now you know, I guess we just give them the benefit of the doubt because you know the Clippers they have actually won titles. <laughs> they have a winning history. You know, we just give them the benefit of the doubt. And by the way, I'm being facetious. We all know the Clippers don't have a winning history, but. You know, we just give them the benefit of the doubt because, you know, they're the Clippers. They have Kawhi, but, you know, I think the Clippers could actually use a big. I think the Clippers could use another playmaker on the wing. So there's host in their team, too. But everybody just raves about the Clippers and down the Lakers. And it's like, oh, what? Which one has the winning pass? Huh? Who should we trust? <laughs> but the Clippers, nevertheless, the Clippers... 
Uh, they have a good roster. They're de- they ha- they're deep. They have a good bench. Um, they could use another big, um, to you know to handle with AD because Montrezl Hero he's the guy that primarily defends AD and he gives up a lot of size with with guarding AD. So they can use that. Um, Denver at three. Not surprised either. Um, n- neither with Denver. Uh, Denver really good team. Uh. Jokic, Jokic, or you know Nikola Jokic oriented. They, they, they definitely everything goes to him. But they have nice, they have good players elsewhere like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and Michael Porter Jr. He's one of my favorites that I, you know, I, I, I root for him um, because he, he, he's, he's a really talented player, and he, and if he can just all, if he can just put everything together um, with his skill set and. Also, health health has to be on your side. I also I, I I really like Michael Porter Jr. and the Nuggets just have a lot of good players. Will Barton, they have a lot of good players that I like. So um, not surprised with the Nuggets and their moves and what they have done this year. Uh, Utah Utah started off slow. Utah four Utah has started off slow. But they've really picked it back up. Um, they've they've been playing really well. Donovan Mitchell playing really well. Uh, Rudy Gobert is playing really well. He's really evolved this game offensively. Bogdanovich has been a big help, a big necessary help on the wing with Joe Ingles to help Utah out. Mike Conley and uh, Jordan Clarkson has really has really been some has been some good additions for the for the uh, Utah Jazz. I like the Utah Jazz. People I, I don't know what it is, but I always say I like Utah. I like Utah. And people are like, "You like Utah?" What? Utah? I'm like, "Yeah, what's wrong with Utah?" I don't know, maybe because it's the mountains and who visits Utah, but I like Utah. Uh, I like the roster. And I think to me, oh well, I'm, I'm gonna get into this. Uh, next, Houston. I talked about Houston enough. Uh, I think Houston lacks an identity. You know, going into the playoffs, I think you have to have an identity. You have to know who you are. Um, and then, like organ- organizational wise, with them, with the Houston Rockets lacking an identity and not having, you know, I don't think they have a. I don't think they know where they're going actually. I think Utah and Denver, organizationally, and like they know where they're going. Utah know where they're going. Denver knows where they're going. Houston don't feel like they know where they're going. Like they're like, oh, we're gonna go with this method. No, I think we're gonna go small, like really small. So I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes Houston and their moves confuse me. And like I said, I think Mike D'Antoni is under. He's on the hot seat. So moves had to be made to make it seem like, hey, we're trying. We're trying. We're trying to put an effort forward. But I think Houston lacks an identity. They're still going to win about 50 games this season. And they're going to probably end up with the top five seed. And if they play Utah in the first round, I'll probably take Utah. Um, at six, Dallas, Dallas, uh, they, you know, Dallas started off really well early in the season. Luca was playing well. KP Perzingis, you know, been playing well, but since, uh, the injury to Luca, um, Perzingis had an injury early on, um, uh, or before Luca got hurt, <clears throat> you know, 
that's where they that's where Dallas have dipped a little bit. And you know, they would they were once upon a time they were at three, but now they have dropped down to six. Dallas still a good playoff team. They're a really dangerous six seed. So if they were if the playoffs started today, they'll be playing Denver. That would be a good that would good that would be a good first round matchup. Um Dallas is a very dangerous six seed. <clears throat> so like Dallas, big fan of Luka. Uh, OKC at 7. The Oklahoma City Thunder at 7. A lot of people thought, including myself, that OKC would take a seat. Uh, they would take a seat back. That hasn't been the case. Um, with the with with the acquisitions, with all with all of the players and the draft picks that the Clippers gave OKC to acquire Paul George, uh, OKC have used those pieces in the right places. Um, Chris Paul has been playing really well. He's really like Chris Paul has really led this team um, and into believing. Dennis Strude is having a good season. Really, um, Gate Shea Gilgis Alexander, second year player. He's really played well for the Thunder. I like I, I like what the Thunder has done. Danilo Gallinari always has been a good scorer, powerful, a good shooter. Like him as well. I like what I like what the Thunder has done. They're sitting at seventh. And um, at eight, Memphis. Memphis at eight. They have really surprised a lot of people too. Memphis at eight. They've really surprised a lot of people. Um, started off the season slow, but they have they have made up some ground. John Morant is playing really well, and he is the rookie of the year front runner. Um, and the piece that they have, Memphis is played. They they grit and grind. Um, it's it's much more exciting. From where they had, remember when Memphis had Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol and Mike Conley, and they were just grit and grind, and they were just they played through their bigs. It's a little bit more exciting now with John Morant, and it's exciting. His exciting John Morant reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook, just with a jump shot. Like I think he's a he's a lot like Westbrook, but with a better jump shot. And Memphis has really surprised a lot of people that have came a long way. Um, and they're still trying to figure out a way to trade a dollar. <laughs> they have twenty four hours. They have like twenty four more hours left. Um, and then Portland at nine. I stuck. I snuck Portland in there because Portland. We all thought that Portland would be a playoff team. They're outside of the playoff picture. Dame, these lad, this like these like this last week and a half. Dame has been really hot. He's been averaging forty five and ten. Uh, these last six games, but Portland. Some people question, you know, should they trade CJ McCollum? Should they should they move somebody to try to put themselves in position to like really compete in the playoffs? I've heard reports, I've heard various rumors that Portland will not make no big time moves. So that is that. That is my breakdown on the NBA and both conferences conferences as we head into the trade deadline and All-Star weekend. Um we 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 got a lot more NBA to discuss in these next coming months. Thank you guys for listening. I'm out. Um it's been a great pleasure. Always remember two choices, one decision, two choices, one decision. I'm out. See you guys. Hey.